Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me hard. I'd fuck me so hard. <laughs> That's the best intro we've ever done. That was a quote from James Buffalo Bill Gum <laughs> from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> if y'all don't remember this scene, it's him um, with his dick tucked and like wearing a beautiful kimono and putting chapstick on very seductively. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I do it. And, uh, no, I'm not going to be talking about Silence of the Lambs, but I'm talking about an inspiration behind the Silence of the Lambs, Gary Heidnick. I'm here for it. So let's start off with the sources so I don't forget to do it later. Seller of Horror by Ken Englade. Now, I will tell you, there is a lot of mental disadvantaged or disabled people in this story, but they loved throwing around the R word ah, in this I book. Hate. So if you do decide you want to listen to it, it was made in the 80s, I think, is when it was written. Like the late 80s, maybe early 90s, somewhere along that line, when our word was still acceptable, I guess. And so, <laughs> just be prepared. <laughs> um, Monster Preacher, which is on the Oxygen channel, and you can find that on Hulu. The Associated Press, All That's Interesting, Warbleton Council, Murderpedia, Grunge Daily, History Daily, New York Times, Wikipedia. I think that's it. So horror is absolutely my favorite genre, which no surprise. Before you get in too much, who are you? Oh, I'm Jen. And I'm Becky. <laughs> this is too close to home. I'm just so excited. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of those movies that has always had a dark place in my heart is Silence of the Lambs. And for the uninitiated, have you seen it? Yes. Okay. Silence of the Lambs is a cult classic. It's based off of a book. But in the movie, Jodie Foster's character, Clarice Starling of the FBI, taps the killer genius of Dr. Hannibal Lecter, played by the incomparable Sir Anthony Hopkins, to track down a serial killer who has been abducting girls. And his name is Buffalo Bill. And if you've watched it, I highly recommend you listen to our Brethren and Spooky, the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast, and hear their episode, um, which is episode 21, and their review on it. It's one of the early ones. It's, one yeah. of the, it's a good one, too. So James Gum, a.k.a. Buffalo Bill, was played by the dark, silky voice Ted Levine and is based on no less than six serial killers, which is something I did not know. One we had already covered, Old Eddie Gein, the butcher <laughs> played Bill. He is also based on the silver-tongued devil Ted Bundy, the Green River Killer Gary Ridgway, the co-ed killer Edmund Kemper, the shoe fetish slayer Jerry Brudos, and today's killer Gary Heidnick. And so... I had I knew that he was based on several serial killers, but I had actually never heard of Gary Heidnick and all his and his particular. It was like certain things from each killer that he would become. They used as that inspiration, you know, wearing the women's suit was from Ed Gein, um, faking the broken arm in the movie. Sorry for all the plot spoilers. If you haven't watched it, like I don't know where you've been, <laughs> right? Uh, that's from Ted Bundy. All those things. So, studied all of them different lengths, but let's talk about O'Gary today because he is perplexing and weird, and he was highly intelligent and extremely devious. My favorite type of person. Right? Gary was born on November 22nd, 1943. Shout out to my fellow Scorpio. <laughs> right? I think that's still a Scorpio. I don't know. He's, get, he's a rising Scorpio at least. At least. That's what the kids say. I don't know. <laughs> no cap. No cap. In East Lake, Ohio, a suburb, a suburb, 
a suburb. <laughs> Jennifer over here got a vibe. She's talking like the young kids. I mean, bro. Was they sus? <laughs> so sus. <laughs> sussy baka. That's what Camilla tells me all the time. That's very sussy baka. Okay. <laughs> don't worry. I don't even know what that means. His parents were Michael and Ellen Heidnick. He had one younger brother named Terry. So Gary and Terry. Cute. But they said their childhood was marked by frequent beatings by their father. Not so cute. Not that. Not a vibe. Not a vibe. Gary's parents divorced in 1946 when he was three years old. And they both, Gary and Terry, lived with their mother, Ellen, for four years. In court, their father accused their mother of being an alcoholic and violent. Which was quite true. (laughs) (laughs) As his mother entered a string of abusive relationships and suffered with alcohol addiction. The boys would move back and forth for, for a time, but due to mental um, and addiction issues, she eventually committed suicide on Mother's Day. Oh. 1971. Well, that's sad. That's, a, that's the ultimate mother stick it to you. Like, you know what? You forgot me on Mother's Day? <coughs> Ooh. Talk about family issues. Now, during his time living with his mother, he suffered an injury. He fell 20 foot from a tree, su- suffering a severe in- injury that left his head misshapen. His brother recalled that children began calling him football head. <laughs> like, hey, Arnold. <laughs> like, hey, Arnold. That's exactly what I was saying the whole time. <laughs> hey, Arnold. And he became more violent and his personality began to change. So his Buffalo besties, Jerry Brudos and Ed Gain, also suffered head trauma as children as well. In 1950, Gary and Terry, I love this so much, um, <laughs> were moved to live with their father and his new wife where he suffered a buttload of emotional abuse and physical trauma. That's precious. He was a huge bedwetter, Gary was. Uh, remember that McDonald triad, bedwetting, arson, animal cruelty. He's got at least one of those indicators. His father would shame the shit out of him by forcing him to hang his stained sheets from his bedroom window in full view of his neighbors. Yeah, that's not fun. And so Michael Heidnick was supposedly a physically abusive man as well. As Terry told the news in 1987, it got to the point where we'd be afraid to pick anything up because he'd beat us if we draw something like a glass. I was, un- I was knocked unconscious once. Mm. It's like, son. Michael would deny these allegations in a separate interview with the publication. Gary was not a happy or friendly child at school. He did not interact with his peers and refused to make eye contact. It probably didn't help that he wouldn't speak or make eye contact and only wear military apparel. He was the J-R-O-T-C weirdo. Mm. Like the one that took it serious. Yeah. You know what I mean? When a well-meaning new female student asked, did you get the homework done, Gary? He yelled at her and told her she was not worthy enough to talk to him. I wish a motherfucker would. 10-4, buddy. (laughs) 10-4. Nonetheless, Heidnick performed well academically and tested with an IQ of 148. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So Heidnick began developing a liking for the military world. And for this reason, when he was 14 years old, he asked his father to enter a military school Sounds like a nerd. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but when I was 13, no. Yeah, no. He enrolled the now defunct Staunton Military Academy located in Virginia, and he studied there for two years but dropped out just before graduating. Why? You're so close. Right? He spent another stint in public high school until he finally dropped out from there as well. In 1960, at 17 years old, Gary enlisted in the Army, and during basic training, his drill sergeant graded him as excellent. He applied for several specialist positions, including the military police, but was rejected. Like many killers, they looked for these positions of authority, but unfortunately, he was too young to qualify to be an MP. You had to be, I think, 20, 21 mm-hmm. or something at the time, and he was only 
17, 18 years old. I think he was at Fort Leonard Wood for basic training. I'm looking at somebody who also went to Fort Leonard Wood. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> just saying, guys, be careful. He liked to, he liked, oh, I'll just get into it. Anyways, later, <laughs> <laughs> he was sent to San Antonio in Texas. Again, somebody else who lives in Texas <laughs> to be trained as a medic. In his training, he also did well. And at the end of his training, he was commended for his excellent conduct and efficiency. He had more money than he ever had in his whole life and decided, let's make it work for me. And became a loan officer for other soldiers. He would hoard all his pay and his allowances and then would loan it to other soldiers, which we all know, if you've lived in a military community, your interest rate ain't going below 25%. Okay. <laughs> They already looking for you. So he was doing payday loans? <laughs> he was doing payday loans, pretty much. He would then, of course, go and rape all the money. So he's making hand over fist money. Well, he would be sent to Germany in May 1962 in Landstuhl as a orderly. And this is where things started going. It's Landstuhl. Landstuhl? Yeah, I worked there. Uh, at yeah. Landstuhl Regional Medical Center. Uh, Landstuhl. Germany, yeah. <laughs> Right. Jimmy, yeah, get you know right. I fuck everything up. So if I have a chance to correct someone, I, I'm jumping on it. Please do. <laughs> Somebody has to. I had to call my person Eric, whatever, because I couldn't say the last time. Okay? <laughs> I gotta hype myself up when I have the opportunity. <laughs> it doesn't present often, guys. It doesn't. But go for it, girl. I'm here for it. <laughs> Sound off, queen. Carry on. The queen is just. <laughs> don't worry. The next episode, you get corrected the whole time anyway. So I'm just breaking Fuck you in yes. for it. <laughs> This is where things started going downhill for Gary. He panicked because he had moved to Germany so fast, which is very unlike the army. He got there so fast, he was unable to collect on $5,000 worth of loans that he had out. That's which, a lot of money then. Right. So $50,000 is what that would have been in today's Jesus. money. First See? of all, pay has changed. <laughs> like, I don't remember any soldier being able to save up 50 grand. Okay? No, nope, I don't either. No. That much less at probably a specialist level. Right? <laughs> Within a few weeks, he did pass his GED test at 96%, which is 28 above the average or the standard. In 1962, he went to sick hall complaining of dizziness, headaches, blurred vision, nausea, and vomiting. The doctor noted a physical tick in the form of horizontal head jerks and decided he had gastroenteritis and exhibited... Oh, stop! <laughs> that is so military. <laughs> they give my ibuprofen. Tell me they just gave my ibuprofen. Right. He also said he exhibited mental illness akin to schizophrenia. Um, so the doctors noted his prescription history, which included drugs for psychosis, indicating it may have been known for a while he had some issues and was disincluded in his medical profile. They were like, you know what? You're violent. You see things and you're crazy. I know just we're going to put you on the front line. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing. Infantry. <laughs> At the time, he was prescribed Stelazine. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. It's a fairly strong tranquilizer, which probably means it's been discontinued and no longer like Quaaludes. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, it was prescribed for people suffering from hallucinations. In October of the same year, he was transferred to a military hospital in Philadelphia where he was diagnosed with a schizoid personality disorder. In January 1963, the Army said no thanks and gave him an honorable discharge <laughs> and would be judged 100% mentally disabled after serving 14 months of a 36-month enlistment. Bruh, you know he probably had a sign-on bonus. He had to be really fucking nutty. I don't know if they did sign-on bonuses back then. I don't know. I'm on, that's pre 
Women, but women, yes, yeah, that was pre Vietnam serious War. Serious mental health problems yeah. to be dismissed from the army. Like, listen, we ain't we ain't busy right now. You just gonna have to go. We can't even risk but, you getting to the front lines. I mean, if he got medically discharged, mentally discharged, I'm sure he got a check for the rest of his life. So he did. Yeah, he I'm was here for it. A hundred percent pension for his service-connected disability. Oh no, I'm pretty sure that was there beforehand. But you know, that's how the military does. They're like, oh, this shoulder's been fucked up since I was like 12. But I'm gonna say it happened when I was yeah. doing my PT the other day. <laughs> I was filling out some paperwork for the FRG. Busted my elbow. This is writer's elbow. You know, they got tennis elbow. I got writer's elbow. Never had it before. Never had it. First time in my life. It's crazy. Service-related. So he settled in Philadelphia. Who else is from Pennsylvania? Oh, oh. Jimmy. Hmm. Is it, isn't he medically retired from the military, too? He is. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> is this his brother? So now, remember, he is military, has said he's 100% disabled. Well, he graduates as an LPN. Oh, okay. Gets his state certification in addition to studying at the University of Pennsylvania to earn credits in philosophy, chemistry, composition, anthropology, History, sociology, biology, commercial law, and marketing, which I thought was weird, but whatever. Throw it in there. You know what I mean? You got to have a little bit of diversity in your tastes and your interests. Exactly. I got to know how to market myself as a serial killer. (laughs) Just can't be interested in crime and murder general. No. He went to work as an LPN at the University of Pennsylvania, but was later fired for laziness. And then he started training as a psychiatric nurse at the VA in Coatesville, PA. You know, it's a shame they don't fire people for laziness anymore. No. <laughs> they get promoted now. <laughs> They're like, you know what? I like your ingenuity. <laughs> <laughs> he would be released four months into his employment for bad attitude and poor attendance. Even in the Army, he would act better than anyone and state that people were just jealous. And when he was in the Army, people just pulled rank to embarrass him. I mean, it happens in my life. Every time someone has something negative to say, I'm like, get your shades out. Because you're just a hater. (laughs) They hate us because they ain't us. Exactly. He attempted to reconcile with his father and stepmother in Ohio, but was there for like, I think, 24 hours. And he was like, nah, this ain't going to work. And gets the fuck out. He never goes back to visit them. If the guy released from the military with 100% mental disability says that house is too much, (laughs) that house is too much. It's too much. (laughs) His relationship with his mother was much the same. Not close as in like not like how it is with his father but his mother would just like hit him up for money and because she drank herself poor and eventually not having help she drank mercuric chloride after a bone cancer diagnosis Hmm. so fantastic nice right i don't even know what mercuric chloride is didn't you just talk about that i feel like we just talked about that chloral hydrate it's the same thing right same thing (laughs) same thing I'm not a chemist, but <laughs> I do do a podcast. I do do a podcast. I do a fair bit of research on Wikipedia, okay? <laughs> His brother Terry also spent time in mental institutions and attempted suicide multiple times. That's sad. Gary began checking in and out of psychiatric hospitals following multiple suicide attempts and deaths and the death of his mother, which you weren't close to her, but because she died now, you're going to like, come on, that's a little late. It's a little late, sir. I don't mean to judge you, but I am. <laughs> Maybe he was mourning the death of no relationship. It's true. There you go. Just showing you my kind side. You have one? I do. Oh, my God. But don't worry. It. It's fleeting. Fleeting. Very <laughs> fleeting. I don't like it. It's very annoying. It's like a rash. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Fungus I can't get rid of. Oh. 
So from 1962 to 1987, he would have over 20 hospital visits and 13 suicide attempts. Jesus. And he was caught in 1987, spoiler alert. So, and there was more after that that Mm. happened as well. His attempts were wildly different as well. Uh, One, he let the intrusive thoughts win by running headfirst with his motorcycle into a truck. Oh, my. And then another by eating a glass bulb. He tried to hang himself. And, of course, he would hoard his stelazine and thorazine and would just take Mm. it in mass amounts and try to kill himself. Thorazine is, it can do that to you. Yeah. It's not widely used anymore. Really? Did have a patient that we gave it to for hiccups. (laughs) <laughs> some serious shit might get rid of some hiccups he had them like nonstop for a long time holy shit i never saw him hiccup though I think it was all a lie. i'm just saying but who am i i never witnessed it podcast <laughs> just a fucking nurse that's been doing this shit for a long time <laughs> anyways carry on sorry about my side notes he would even go as far as tying a string around his toe and when he was admitted to a psych ward, they, of course, undressed him to examine him and everything. And they're looking at his feet and they're like, bro, what's with the string on the toe? And he's like, well, what I was hoping is that it would go gangrenous and then it would get in my blood, like my blood, and then it would kill me. So playing like the long game of suicide via string on the toe. There's easier ways to go, brah. That- I also saw a patient's uh, toes rot and one fell off in her bed. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but he'd be like, Bling. I was like, ooh, that's not good. <laughs> Let me just glue that back on there for you. <laughs> do, this. do I just wait till the next shift? Yeah, sounds like a day shift problem if you ask me. <laughs> Listen, they're sleeping. They don't know. Let's let them have a little bit longer, okay? Yeah. They'll figure out when they change your bed tomorrow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't do that, but her toe did fall off for real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Nobody come at me. <laughs> During hospital stays, he would sometimes also just go mute and stop talking. That's cool. Which, I mean, I'd rather that than a screaming psycho, I guess. He would yeah, communicate definitely. in alternative ways such as sign language or notes, but was mostly uncommunicative for weeks and months at a time. I couldn't I couldn't not talk for weeks and months at a time. I couldn't make it through this podcast of you talking without talking, so. Girl, that's what I think every time when you're reading a story. I'm like, bitch, you got to shut the fuck up and let this woman do her job. <laughs> Oh, first of all, it's a job that's very underpaid, Jimmy. <clears throat> and he's trying to deduct her pay at, at mm. I know. He tried to take me from zero dollars and zero cents to negative dollars and negative cents. <laughs> and Honey, you can't get blood from a turnip. <laughs> that I will not abide. <laughs> <laughs> there was one instance of his, he had a, he had been silent for weeks, right? And then he had a buddy that come to visit him in the psych ward. And he's just like chit-chatting, like. Cool. He hadn't been silent. And the nurse was like, holy shit, he's talking. And he just like gave him the stank eye and went back to being quiet. <laughs> like, uh, like, I wonder if that'll work on my kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> he was diagnosed as a catatonic type of schizophrenia with extremely high intelligence and a desperate need to be in positions of authority like every serial killer is. <laughs> Once he hit his brother Terry with a wood, they said wood plane. I don't know if they mean like a plane, like a tool for... Oh, shaving wood or like if they meant plank, but they kept saying plane over and over again. So I'm assuming it's a, t- a tool. And so, well, maybe they had a wooden plane. Yeah, maybe. Was, I'll go. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I thought that as well. And then I was like, <laughs> you silly goose, get back in the pond. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't the only one that thought that. <laughs> Always supportive, you know, 
Yes. Thank you. Thank you for seeing me. I, you are seen. Your <laughs> light shines bright. And so he went into a mental ward for a little bit. And then his brother was, of course, in the hospital because he had severe, like, a bad injury. And all of a sudden, Gary comes, like, tra-la-la, walking in the hospital room. And he's like, what the fuck? He's like, what if you had killed me? And after a long pause, he said, dramatic much? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to need you to calm the fuck down. You alive? Did you die? But did you? After a long pause, he said, I would have put your body in the bathtub and poured acid over it to dissolve the bones. I would have had to be careful while mixing the acid, though, because I wouldn't want to damage the drain pipes. I would leave you there to soak for two or three days, and if there were any big bones left, I'd saw them up, put them in a trash compactor. Then I would distribute them around the neighborhood in various trash cans. And the whole time, all you hear is, where he's hitting the nurse call light. Somebody get in there. This last trip was not effective. Terry would have nightmares about Gary coming after him for months afterwards. You think? You think? I'm going to have nightmares about it tonight. So thank you for that, Jennifer. Exactly. You're welcome. In 1967, he purchased his three-story house at 3520 North Marshall Street in North Philadelphia. This is where some atrocious shit would go down later. He did move around. Like, he did have multiple houses and um, was weirdly good with his money. But more on that later. His mental state continued to deteriorate. In 1970, his living girlfriend would walk out on him. She was 10 years older than him, African-American, and mentally disabled and she had spent a third of her life in mental institutions. That's and so sad. this is actually the type. This is his type. He wants somebody who's weak, who is a disadvantage and has had a rough life. And he's going to be like, I'm your savior. And I'm also going to be the demon that <sighs> fucked you up. In 1971, he would begin some real ass, real, real ass, real weird ass eccentricities that would follow him for life. If one pet leg was up, he didn't want to communicate. Or he was a West Side gangster. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody really knows. <laughs> Look at him crib walking. You know? <laughs> uh, he would do a weird military salute to people in positions of authority. Like at one um, hearing, he kept saluting the judge. Okay, so I'm just curious why y'all don't do that when I walk through your door. <laughs> I've been telling Jimmy. the respect I deserve. He told me it was overkill, but I was like... But I feel like you got to put the respect on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's what I want you to say. Putting respect on it. I'll put respect on it, Becky. <laughs> he would also, you know, of course, the mutism. He also was very concerned with the clothes he wore. He loved wearing nice clothes. Like, he had this leather fringe jacket. But he had terrible hygiene at the same time. Um, And then he would have disregard for usual customs and social norms. And just lived in his own reality. Heidnik reality, as one psychiatrist noted. <laughs> a what? Heidnik re- reality. Oh, okay. He received $2,000 a month for his mental disability, and he would go on to use that as seed money for a real moneymaker, religion. Yes. In spring 1972, he stated he started a dialogue with God. <laughs> After me- initially meaning to go get a donut and coffee down the street, this is in Philadelphia now, he just kept driving and ended up on the beach. In California, looking at the Pacific Ocean. Cool. And God was like, you know what? Bruh, you need to start a church to help the mentally disabled and the physically handicapped. And he was like, Good for him. Direct so quote. He also would converse with Jesus. And you're going to love this because Jesus gave him stock market tips. 
Oh, I mean, I wonder if you'll give me the lotto numbers. Right, that's what I've been hoping for. Dear seven pound, eight ounce baby Jesus. The lottery is up to three hundred million. Right, I need it. Out, I needs it. (laughs) I needs it. Look at my life. I needs it. In 1971, Heidnick incorporated a church called the United Church of the Ministers of God, initially with a mere five followers, and he held services in his home. His brother... Wait a minute. So, like us when we started the podcast, we exactly. held services in your home and had a mere five followers. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> his first five followers would be a handful of people, including his girlfriend at the time before she moved out. His brother... Which Doesn't apparently count. is still Doesn't hanging out. if it's your family that live in the house and they have to hear you. That'd be like counting Jimmy as a follower. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he is. <laughs> Subscribed and rated. And then like just three other people that he knew. <laughs> like, this is it. Where's our church okay, now? so exactly how we started. <laughs> exactly. It, it's, it included a charter with his own church rules. The church would have a board of five people and would be run by <laughs> And a that bishop. was all five followers. <laughs> all five followers. <laughs> It would be run by a bishop. Did they vote the followers as the board? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Fucking dead. <laughs> you know, I love this story for the thing that it has everything you'd want in a serial killer it story. It really does. So we far, got cults. Yes. We've got disadvantaged people. Yes. <laughs> disenfranchised neighborhoods. Military. Military. White men being crazy. <laughs> I mean, it really is a good base to the soup that you've made. <laughs> it's... Here I am just stirring it up. <laughs> Here comes the meat and the carrots, baby. <laughs> I'm ready. And so it would be ran by a bishop until the bishop's death or when he decided he just wanted to resign. He became the bishop. He was Bishop Heidnick, and he had full control and responsibility of the church's funds and fundraising. As it should be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In 1975, he opened up an account under the church's name with Merrill Lynch. The initial deposit was $1,500. It's a great way to get out of taxes, too. Right. <laughs> that's perfect that was perfect oh did I segue you're segueing oh I'm so proud of oh, myself gosh. I Cut never segue you always segue <laughs> <laughs> he had been obsessed with Wall Street since childhood and now he was able to play for reals you know what I mean for reals for reals so regardless of hospitalizations he was able to stay in control of the church's portfolio and receive Merrill Lynch's monthly statements and kept in close touch with his broker so while he was going cuckoo bananas he, he was, was also checking. handling business. Exactly. You know what I mean? The portfolio would increase in value to $500,000. Wow. Was, that is a lot of money then. For real. And it claimed to be in a, he was claimed to be an astute investor, except for one that he was highly embarrassed over. He had invested $150,000 and it just went south and he would lament over it even during uh, a child support hearing we'll talk about later. And he was like, I just couldn't resist Crazy Eddie. You know, it was some kind of, it was the only bad investment. And like, he talked about it to different people. Be like, fucking Crazy Eddie, man. He <laughs> fucked me over. It was 150 and I only got nine left, you know. <laughs> in the charter, also it was explicit in how funds would be spent and allocated. Assets would be used to further the goals of the church from real estate to vehicles. Now, the vehicle fleet for the church was owned by the church, but bishop-driven. So, of course. Some think it was an elaborate scam to evade taxes. Uh, for someone as wildly uneven in mental stability, though, who knows? Yeah. It could be, but it could not be. It was a very weird because you, they don't ever really find out. Like, he actually held services. He had, when he went to jail, people were still calling his lawyer, like, can we still hold services and shit? 
Like, he either was really fucking good at doing a con or he was in it. I, I don't know. Maybe this was a dilution too. <laughs> Maybe he was just really entertaining when he was up there. I mean, he sounds like it. He sounds like it. <laughs> and so, except for the stinky part, I can't do, I'm a very smell-averse person. So if someone comes around with B.O., I'm gonna be like, oh, sorry. <laughs> it was Jesus that told him to smell like that. So <laughs> blasphemy on you. Damn. <laughs> it was all right. Look at me. I have a Jesus bungee jumping off a cross in my bathroom right now. That's right. And you have a Jesus picture right above my head that says, on my mama. On my hood. I look fly. I look good. On my mama. <laughs> the bishop had final word and unrelenting power of the church, with the exception of divine intervention, of course, because Jesus has to have his word. Yes. He would pick up congregants and he'd take them to church. And some of them, and a lot of them were um, mentally dis- disadvantaged and everything, couldn't read. Some were nonverbal. And for the ones that could that could speak or whatever, he would painstakingly sit down and teach them the hymns so they could sing too. Okay. That's like either a really long con or he's <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> Maybe both. Maybe both. After church, he would take everyone out to eat. That's um, nice. He loved fast food. And he spent a lot of time at like McDonald's. Roy Rogers, I guess, is a fast food restaurant that he spent a lot of time at. And sometimes he would even take them to local theme parks. Aww. From 1972 to 1978, there's a huge gap of six years where there are no medical records of Heidnik, at least not in Philly. It's entirely impossible using a different state or even in a private hospital and possibly a different personality. It's not uncommon for the time. Or People, maybe he wanted everybody to mind the business. Mind the business. <laughs> Why are you trying to follow me? Shit. Regardless. Homie was deeply disturbed and definitely did not improve in mental health during that <laughs> six-year period. In 1976 to 1978, he began a string of crimes. In 1976, Robert Rogers and his girlfriend were renting an apartment from Heidnick in West Philadelphia near the University of Pennsylvania. Every time you hear West Philadelphia, I think about Prince Philadelphia. <laughs> West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground is where I spent most, most of my days. days. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> We've watched that so many times. Yes. Now I can just imagine the Fresh Prince going, get my wife's name out your motherfucking mouth. <laughs> so Heidnick had, had gotten an argument with the girlfriend, and so he was pissed off. He went down in the basement, because up north they have basements, and turned off all the power and locked the door. Well, the, the guy comes home, and he's like, fuck, it's locked. So he goes around, and he crawls through this window to get in the basement. And there's Gary sitting there with a shotgun in his oh. fucking lap. And he says, I'm going to kill you. And when they get here, I'm going to say that I thought you were an intruder. Oh, and that's so he, terrifying. He gets up, puts this puts shotgun down and picks up a pistol and shoots at him. And thankfully, it just grazes his ear. And he starts like talking them down until he could wrestle the gun out of his hand. And Gary was, of course, arrested and was charged with aggravated assault and carrying an unlicensed pistol. The charges would be dropped later, and the home would be bought by a University of Pennsylvania administrator. Not because they want the house or anything, but just to get Gary's crazy ass out of the neighborhood, because this wasn't the only instance of him (laughs) being fucking nuts. When they cleared out the building, they found it littered with garbage and porn, as well as a pit in the basement covered with a piece of wood. It was large enough to hold one adult. No one knew how foreboding that would be. Mm. Now, what does that remind you of? A pit in the basement to hold people in. Um, it puts the lotion on the skin or it gets the hose again. 
Um, that one? <laughs> that one. Uh, Silence in the Lambs. That's the inspiration is he liked to keep people in the basement. So there you go. Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. He had the hole. Yeah. Okay, it's all coming back. It's all coming back, back to me. Back to me now. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love this. I love it when you join in on the singing, too. <laughs> I sing all the time. Not well. <laughs> I do have an American Idol audition. <laughs> <laughs> and so in 1978, he moved in with an Anjanette Davidson at her apartment. She was unable to read or write and had an IQ of 49. She was economically disadvantaged and African-American. A full-scale IQ score is around 70 to 75, indicates a significant limitation in intellectual functioning. So at 49. Yeah. You know, she was definitely an easy prey for him. She fell pregnant, and Gary, being a medical professional, refused to allow her to seek medical care outside of himself. Makes um, sense. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm an LPN. I know what I'm doing. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want to know what I'm doing when it comes to have like birthing babies. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a whole thing. Like, it just scars you. If you've ever watched someone give birth, but no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. And uh, so a month before the baby was due, Anjanette's older sister and the police came and took her away. She gave oh, thank birth, God. Right? She gave birth in 1978 to a seven-pound, eight-ounce girl. And due to his strict diet, she had only gained five pounds in her pregnancy. Oh. I the, wish JJ would. Right? Boy, I was so mean. JJ better be glad he was at war. It was nicer. <laughs> <laughs> the baby was put into a foster home. But that isn't the end of the story of Anjanette. In May, she and Gary went to visit her mentally disadvantaged sister, Alberta, who had an IQ of 30 and a mental oh. capacity of a five-year-old at 34 years old. That's sad. So Gary and Anjanette signed her out of the center for a family visit. Now, originally, she was supposed to be returned the next morning at the latest, but never showed up. The hospital went and searched for her as well, and they visited Gary and Anjanette's apartment. He allowed, he was like, the woman comes to the door and he's like, if you think she's here, come on in and opens the door and lets her come in and search the house. She doesn't find anything, but she knows like something's not right. He told them that he had sent her back to the center by bus. Like, I just didn't feel like making the trip. So I sent this woman out here with a capacity of a five-year-old to on try to bus. make it back. Like, that's not going to be dangerous as fuck. Right. So the woman would not let this go. Gets the police and is like, all right, I need you to come with me because something's not right. So they go, he does the same thing and fucking search my house then. Well, I guess the first go around, the woman didn't search the basement. And the police did. And they found uh, Alberta in the basement, in, the, in a hole, mm. under a piece of plywood. He tried to, so they, of course, are like rescuing her. And he's sitting there shouting at her like, hey, if, if you go with them, you're never going to see your sister again. Trying to scare oh her gosh. in front of the fucking police. <sighs> After a medical um, examination, after they get her back to the, the place, they found indications of intercourse, semen in her mouth, in addition to oral gonorrhea. Oh. Police arrested Gary and charged him with, and convicted him of kidnapping, rape, unlawful restraint, false imprisonment, involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, and interfering with the custody of a committed person. While he tested negative for an STD, there had been enough time between her being found and them deciding to come arrest him that he could have went and sought treatment mm -hmm. and had access to seek treatment for gonorrhea. So it wasn't like a, 
oh, well, I ain't never had it. Right. In fact, he even had to, like, say, like, oh, well, I mean, I have access and I can. But it doesn't mean I did. <laughs> he stated that Alberta had actually wanted to stay and they took her shopping for clothes and a wig. Like, at one time, he come, she he'd come home from somewhere and both of them are like in tears and they're like, they said that you could, we couldn't stay longer. And he's like, fuck them. We're going shopping. We're going McDonald's. I'm going to get you a new wig. I'm going to get you new clothes. Get you a new purse. <laughs> All this. He also stated he taught her how to handle money and helped her denying that he ever had sex with her. A foreboding psychological exam during this you know, arrest and everything, revealed Heidnick's inferiority complex. He appears to be extremely insecure and confused individual. Records indicate that he is suffering from major mental illness, which apparently has been longstanding. He's also psychosexually immature. He appears to be easily threatened by women whom he would consider to be equal to him, either intellectually or emotionally. His defense cannot tolerate criticism. Gary needs constant acceptance and self-assurance that he is intelligent, worthwhile human being. The judge of the case found him guilty and required a standard pre-sentence report, which also is equally disturbing. Joseph Tobin, the pre-sentence criminal investigator, stated, Heidnick appears to be manipulative, and he's certainly lacking in judgment. He impresses me as one who sees himself as superior to others, although apparently he must involve himself with those distinctively inferior to himself to reinforce this. It is my opinion, based on the extensive investigation, that he is not only a danger to himself, but perhaps a greater danger to others in the community, especially those who he perceives as weak and dependent. Unfortunately, it seems to me that he will not significantly change his aberrant behavior pattern in the near future. And so he was sentenced to the max he could since the felony charges were dropped. The, they had deemed Alberta too mentally incompetent to stand as a witness. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. So then he was sentenced to three to seven years on misdemeanor crimes to state penitentiary. The original sentence was overturned on appeal, and Heidnick spent three years of his incarceration in mental institutions prior to being released in April 1983 under the supervision of a state-sanctioned mental health program. There was a report that the close supervision and increased surveillance was required for Gary, but it just wouldn't be long enough. Yeah. He would go, half, he would go mute halfway through his sentence due to the devil sticking a cookie down his throat. He literally told that to the parole board. <laughs> <laughs> and they denied him three times. Every time I eat cookies, I'm like, the devil made me do it. <laughs> the devil made me do it. I was trying to eat carrots and celery, She's and the right. devil stuffed the Damn you, in devil. my mouth. <laughs> I'm just trying to be healthy. <laughs> I want no damn cookies. My hips say differently. <laughs> <laughs> it's the devil. It's the devil. Uh, the parole board denied him three times based on his tomfoolery, <laughs> and then he finally was released. And so... Gary was a bit of a Rachel Dolezal, if you recall that broad, who was a white girl who claimed that she identified as a black woman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His mother's last two relationships with black men may have something to do with this, as those men told him that he was of mixed race. She had been married to one guy, got divorced, got married to another. She had, like, five husbands. Um, and they would raise Gary for those small periods and be like, oh, well, I'm your daddy. <laughs> and you're mixed. And so he would later list his race as colored on entry forms of mental institutions because he did not like the term black. This makes me think of um, Tropic Thunder. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. Like, yeah, what? <laughs> what in the white people? 
Right. Ugh. He preferred African-American women, especially those who were easily controlled, like I said. So after the army, he invited an Amer- African-American woman, and they had a child together. She was married. And after having the child, she was like, mm, I got to get the fuck out of here, and took the baby with her and went back oh, to her good. husband. Oh, good. took the baby. Yeah. He did occasionally visit this daughter, but he would lose all his visitation rights in 1986. Like stated before, he had a live-in girlfriend, Dorothy, who is 10 years his senior, and one day, she just disappeared after a decade-long relationship. She was also mentally disabled and had deep signs, had signs of deep neglect from 14 years in institution and had no teeth due to that. Mm. I mean, because we all know that um, not every institution has the best staff in the world, just like right. any other Correct. occupation. He treated her badly, verbally and physically abusing her and refused to let her eat. A neighbor, Linda, tried to talk Dorothy into leaving after seeing a gunshot graze wound on her leg. Mm. She left on her own record, and and eventually they found her after his arrest, and she had been living homeless and in really poor poor conditions. And so definitely a victim in every way of the word. I hate. That's the thing. I'm glad she survived, but also she had lived a very shit life. I mean, even before Gary came along. I'm sure he did a number. (laughs) Yeah. Between 1983 and 1985, he was a free bird with no traditional girlfriend. He did supposedly have a hanger-on of a white woman who shared um, the bed between him and his bestie, Tony Brown. His best friend was also mentally disadvantaged. So he, I don't know if that's the right thing to say. Mentally disadvantaged or mentally disabled? Uh, Either one is better. I always want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. Like, I'm already not saying the R word. I don't want to say that because... What was it like you were telling me the other day? He kept writing something and you're like, I don't want to keep saying this. Like, Yeah. Uh, I just want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. That's why you guys always ask questions. Right. So there's your lesson. Your life exactly. lesson for the day. Thank you for instilling that upon us, Jennifer. I'm better for it. I'm better for you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Between Terry and her's bed, they, but he was a very open individual sexually, I guess, in, in that sense. She would go on to have a son that she would call Gary Jr. We don't know if it's, in fact, his son or his roommate's son. (laughs) Eventually, the woman would marry Tony and have another child. Gary Jr. would eventually go on to a foster home. So, thank God for that. Um, Maybe. I don't know. Foster homes are not the best always, but... Especially back then. In 1983, Gary decided to visit a matrimonial bureau and requested they find him a, quote... Oriental virgin. <laughs> he was trying to open up the Aren't dynamic. Aren't we all looking for one? <laughs> Aren't we all? Within a few weeks, a young Filipino woman in her early 20s named Betty Disto was... Wait lo- a minute. The, the marriage bureau, is that like where you go by like wives from overseas? Because I, I was thinking you were going to tell me he was like applying for a marriage license. And then you said he requested a, a girl. And I'm like, still, he's a little crazy. So he could just show up anywhere asking for one. But then they delivered one. So I'm yeah, it's slightly like a, confused. a matchmaking service. Okay, and this okay. one specifically for overseas bride. I think okay. he had had a friend that was like, yo, bro, this is the best way to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, quote, I'm caught unquote. up. I'm caught up now. <laughs> <laughs> Within a few weeks, a young Filipino woman in her early 20s named Betty Disto was looking through a pen pal brochure when she saw okay, an ad. Is that what we're calling it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> when a, she saw an ad talking about a 36-year-old Philadelphia nurse, Gary Heidnick. 
She wrote him quickly, not knowing he was actually five years older than what he portrayed. He, like, he sent a photo of himself, and it was a younger photo of himself as like a catfish. And for two years, they wrote each other every week and even had a few transcontinental calls, which was extremely expensive back in the day. I mean, it's still expensive now, but it's like really expensive. Very, you didn't have all the methods of communication back in those days. Mm -hmm. They had a little bit of a, a monopoly on the market. <laughs> <laughs> she thought it was weird that he started a church, but white people just did weird shit like that, which is true. I mean, look at Jim Jones. <laughs> so she went out of the realm of Look at them. you, Jim Jones. I'm looking <laughs> at you. Um, he proposed, and she wholeheartedly agreed. And so Betty, Betty's father had passed away years before, and her mother was worried about this stranger. But 1985, Betty was like, I have to, I got to have him. <laughs> got to have him. His, her mother said, he might be a witch, a voodoo man. And only I could hope I could get that compliment one day. Same. You know? Same. She might be a witch or a voodoo woman. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> he looked old and looked like Dracula is what Betty said. But she was excited, so she went for it. When she got, they got to Gary's home, he showed her to a room with a waterbed. Only to find that High there was... High class living right, right there. In the motion of the ocean. That's right. Only there was a woman in the bed already. Oh, okay. It was a... So sister wife. Black, mentally disabled woman that he was like, oh... I rent the room to her. She pays like $200 a month. You have to share a bed with her though. Because they weren't married and he knew that. So we're seeing a couple red flags. Yeah. A couple. Dozen million. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, all right, whatever. You know, I'm just going to go with it because we're not married. I get that. Because he had offered to put her in a hotel. I bet she was regretting that shit when she saw that woman in the bed. Like, bitch, I should have stayed at the Holiday Inn. Mm-hmm. <sighs> It's going to sound really racist. I was like, in the most Mandarin way, like, fuck this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Story's very interesting. It is. Like, it's like, what are we doing? Yeah. I know I'm tired, but I'm still having some bring me back to ground checks because I'm like, what is going on? That's what I was doing the whole time because I would be, normally I listen and write at the same time, but this time I decided I was going to listen and then listen and write again. And... I was cleaning and I'm like, how did we fucking get here? I was just <laughs> exactly. The, I was just in the bedroom talking about his army life. And then I come over here and I'm talking about him renting out rooms to this. Like, what? What are we doing? What's going on? What? Do okay. I, need, I need to rewind. I must have missed something. No, I didn't. Okay. Like normally you have they're poor. They have it's kind of a same mm -hmm. pattern. But his is so weird. Like, yes, he was poor, but he also made a lot of money, but he also was fucking batshit. Legit crazy. <laughs> right. Like, like, none of this makes sense. Mm -mm. On October 3rd, a few days after arriving, they went to Maryland and got married in a whirlwind romance. Sounds at, like it. At first, he was extremely sweet, loving. Always know, are. Lots of attention. Uh, they were talking about having children and religion because, you know, he was a bishop. Um, <laughs> this honeymoon would last a week, though. Oh, I was escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. She went shopping one day, came home, and she heard weird noises upstairs. And so she peeks in her bedroom door, and there's Gary having an orgy with three black women. Oh. And she, like, freaks. Weird. Same thing happened a weekend in my marriage with JJ. <laughs> right. Plot <laughs> <laughs> <Claw> twist. <laughs> what the fuck's happening? JK, JK. 
He wouldn't be alive. It would not. He would not. Is he still alive? And I would be hosting this from jail. <laughs> <laughs> that would make it even more fun. It I'm would. just saying. It like would. You'd have the inside scoop with all the others. You'd be that annoying bitch that keeps asking us about our crimes. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were talking about um, uh, prisons last night, me and my coworker. And he was like, oh, my cousin is doing time at so-and-so. And so we're talking about what prisons are. He's like, let me show you his pictures. And they were inside the prison. And I said, so what you're telling me is he has access to an illegal cell phone. And why is he wearing jeans, sir? Where did he get the jeans from? And he was like, I don't know, Becky. No, no. <laughs> that always gets me because I'll see him every once in a while. Like people have pictures like this is my man. And it's them in jail. Yeah. Like you can see the cot in the bars uh-huh. or the safety door. These or were whatever. bathroom pictures. Oh, I cannot. He was like posing up against the wall and all this. And well, I'm I mean, like, when you said bathroom, I guess then all of a sudden I was like, dick pics? <laughs> Are we doing dick pics was, by the yeah. silver he was toilet? Like, Look at the dick pics my cousin sent me from prison. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, why does this dick have a pair of jeans on? <laughs> he looks better in latex, you know? <laughs> Very unflattering, those jeans. I'm flattering. And so. She freaks out, obviously, and she's like, I can't stand it. I can't believe you're doing this. And he's like, bro, calm down. This is American culture. This is normal. He's like, first of all, I saved you a spot. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you being rude? Okay. Uh, so they already rude. warmed me up and everything. Yeah. I was already ready for you. And he was like, you don't have a fucking option. You're stuck. This is how we do it in That's America. A nightmare. And so, and, and no, sir, it's not how we do it in America. It is not. So he would hang out at the Elwyn Institute, which was a place for people with mental disabilities or extreme physical disabilities that could not live with their families that needed, you know, nurse care. He would even hold church for these folks. Uh, he never accepted a penny, according to Betty. But honestly, I think he was paid in a different way. Being the yeah, bishop. Yeah, he was. <laughs> 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 Being the bishop for all these people he deemed weak and easily controlled probably had to be a real hard-on kind of a situation for him. <laughs> be like his foreplay, I guess. Yep. Um, it was Yum. also against church constitution to pass a collection plate and would even... would well, even that le- seems out of sorts. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's where I keep going back and forth. Like, is this a legit or is he just... What are we doing? Yeah, what's going on? He would even let those who were displaced... Um, or homeless that had maybe left the Elwin Institute stay at their house if they didn't have anywhere to go. Of course he would. (laughs) Right in his bed. (laughs) Gary would bring home women all the time, sometimes from the Elwin Institute, sometimes sex workers. Betty distraught would complain and would receive death glares, and he would also punish her. He would punch her specifically in her arms. He would make her stand in corners for hours, sometimes 12 or more. He would refuse to allow her to eat, he would make Gary, he, she, Gary would make her um, make food for him and his lovers. That's how I, <laughs> Jimmy would get poisoned. Exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> you want some fabuloso in your soup? That's <laughs> I how got it you, happens. <laughs> and he would make them, uh, make her watch him have sex with those women. Fun. Which already. I would probably just be like, the culture not she me. comes from is, I mean, I would say is a little bit more conservative, but Reserved. also that's also norm, not normal American culture to watch women have gangbang your husband. So well, some people it is. Some people it is. Some people love the swinging thing, upside down pineapples. Exactly. And then some of us like that. Like I just like to go to sleep at nine p.m. on a Friday. 
That's the culture <laughs> I'm involved in. That's that's a cult. I'll join. Say less. <laughs> Where do I line up? <laughs> Once he got so mad, he beat her and raped her anally to punish her. Oh. To say his deviance was out of control was an understatement. If you run away, I'll kill you. And he would force her to have anal sex regularly. Wait a minute. If I run away, I get the sweet release of death? Okay. Bye. Because this would be pure hell that she's living in. Uh, yeah. And never, while she lived there, would there not be another woman in the house. That's sad. She would eventually make contact in desperation with the local Filipino community. And they're like, bro, this is not normal. You need to get the fuck out of here. So four days after reaching out to them, and three months, this is three months that she went through this. Mm. That's how long it lasted. She was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. So she grabs like a dress, her passport, all this stuff, puts it in a bag and hides it in the bushes outside. Tells Gary, bro, I got to hit the H-E-B, you know, <laughs> or the Wegmans or whatever is up there up north. Direct quote. Yeah, direct quote. <laughs> I'd be right back. <laughs> all right, cool, cool, cool. She gets it. Fucking, like Shag's Becky ass. says, Shag's ass. <laughs> and so she went to the cops as well, knowing that this was not normal. Her local Filipino community were like well, assuring her this is not American orgies in their yeah. bedrooms. Like this is not the American so, way. <laughs> yes, people like her. I'm not even referring to race. I'm just speaking of normal people that aren't yeah. doing that kind of weird exactly. shit. Exactly. Um, he would be charged with spousal rape, inv- involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, simple assault, and indecent assault. And he was picked up on the precise date of his previous parole expiring. Oh wow! Like meat to meat, <laughs> still fucking shit up. <laughs> <laughs> She, unfortunately, became pregnant in that three months and kept it quiet, did not tell him. Oh, uh, yeah. She had Jesse John Disto, they named him JJ, on September 15th. Shut up. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and she finally not- notified him of her pregnancy and birth via postcard, which, I mean, this is probably as close as she could get comfortably, which mm-hmm. even then I'd be scared to tell him. She would refuse to divorce him, um, boycotting all proceedings, but probably in fear of just being around him, honestly. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. She's fine. Fuck, I'll stay married the rest of my life. I ain't got to see this motherfucker again. She did, however, expect financial support, and he fell into arrears, which led to her filing against him for child support. The best part of this is the proceedings were obviously recorded by a court reporter, which shows how ridiculous this motherfucker is. He was re- <laughs> Crazy. So Gary had a good bit of money, if you recall, and was a good investor, but he would try to like play it off to the judge. He'd be like, if I had that, I'd sure like to know where it is. <laughs> What'd I do? Parrot in jars in the backyard? money? <laughs> 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 Crazy. When he I don't even send the collection plate around at church. Exactly. <laughs> Betty tell you. I'm just here to help people. <laughs> When he was asked about the church's Merrill Lynch account and its made up church. He was like, they were like, whose money is it? And he's like, I guess it's Merrill Lynch's money, I guess. First of all, my church is legit. (laughs) (laughs) The judge would eventually pissed off. He's like, why are you being so evasive? He's like, well, you asked me if I had money, and that's not my money. (laughs) And the judge's like, do you know what evasive means? He's like, I think. (laughs) Sir. I know what your IQ is. The guy was like, there's $300,000 in this account. Why are you saying you have no money? Again, not my money. Knowing good and goddamn well, the church funded things for him. (laughs) The judge would eventually ask for a mental evaluation due to his intelligence and indications of evasion. Basically, I was born at night, but not last night. (laughs) Right? 
The judge would ask why he was on disability and Heineck would be reluctant, but admit he had a nervous disorder and did receive funds from the VA. He would blame the VA for failure to pay since his common law wife was still listed and then they neglected to fix things. Then eventually they did take Dorothy off of there, but did not add Betty on there. So basically it's the VA's fault. It's not mine. Of course. They fucked around. You know what I'm saying? That's why Betty wasn't getting no money. And then he would ask them, like, so what are your mental issues? He's like, I don't know. They wouldn't really tell me. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> he was basically trying to pour mouth and get out of paying Betty money mm-hmm. to take care of his child. Thankfully, he would not be a part of JJ or Betty's life. Good. And so he did have a long-standing fuck buddy relationship with a woman named Jewel. She spent every weekend with him, spending Saturday night with her, and then the church service the next day. And she'd take him out. He'd take her out to lunch and then take her home. Sometimes she would even, like, uh, go with him to the park, have fun. She met. Okay. <laughs> she was also a black You're woman. You're playing fast and loose with the word fun, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> isn't it all fun? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> She was also black as she was an LPN that he met working at a hospital in the 60s that she also worked at. When they first met, he would talk about what a fine specimen she was. And he would often pester her about having a child but refused to have another. And he supposedly after a while was like, all right, I get it. You don't want no more babies. <laughs> she would later, she would tell later that he had an insatiable sexual appetite and often liked having two or more women at the time. She wasn't into sloppy seconds, basically. <laughs> so she's like, whenever he did have another woman, I would always go first. And he would bite the woman's breast while he was fucking me. And then he would switch and bite my breast while he was fucking her. First of all, ain't nobody biting me. Oh, <laughs> uh, Actually, first of all, classy. Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't in sloppy sections. Hashtag classy. <laughs> I couldn't imagine JJ having to have another girl. And I'm like, well... That's fine, but I'm first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, I'm number one in your life, always. Always. Including in orgies. <laughs> exactly. So. Get on my level. They had been lovers for a long time and with a bit of regularity after he left prison. In 1987, Heidnick would change their routine to Wednesday, so. He would pick her up at noon. They'd have sex till around dinner. And then. That's a lot of sex. What time? <laughs> uh, less, even Listen, the early bird dinner. you got about dinner. 10 minutes. That's it. God damn. What am I, a machine? No, thank you. Four or five <laughs> hours? Are you kidding me? <sighs> it makes me hurt all over. I don't like Ugh. it. I be working muscles I don't even know I had. <laughs> I never even wanted to activate. You know well, what I mean? Well, eventually I'm just going to lay there. I'm just going to lay there. We're calling this the dead fish routine. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you're <laughs> slept. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, after, at dinner time, he would take her out to eat and then take Joel home. Well, one Wednesday, he brought a girl with him to pick her up, named Nicole. She was sweet and young. Um, She looked like she was mixed African-American and um, Hispanic of some type, is what she said. And they had Wendy's. They went shopping. And then they went home and had their normal sex sesh, right? You know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But Nicole would stay downstairs while he was upstairs with Jewel, banging it out, as always, (laughs) every Wednesday. Uh, And then, of course, she was taken home. She had never seen Nicole before and had no story. Nicole didn't tell her anything. Little did she know the horrors Nicole was living through in Gary's basement. Mm. 
And that's where we're going to leave off. That's a good place to leave off. Next time, we're going to talk about uh, Gary's plans for a harem of women. Okay. And about Nicole and who she really was. Because Nicole wasn't really her name. It was her street name. And so that was a... I almost put that in the next episode. I'd be like, no, I can't do that. That's too good of a leave off right there. I got to get a little. little I agree. I agree. A little nugget because the first one is all like the setup to it. And this next episode is going to be pretty fucking disgusting. So. Yay. Yay. (laughs) I love a good horror. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And so uh, you guys find us on all our socials. Don't forget to check out our merch. Let us know about your own too close to too mm-hmm. close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't talk. Too close to home stories. That's what we're called, right? Yes, it is. One Good time job. someone asked me, what's the name of your podcast? And I almost said last podcast on the left. I went <laughs> last. Wait, that's not me. That's just my dream. That's my fucking dream. Last podcast on the left. If you are listening, and I doubt you are, I want you to know that you're our heroes. You are. And our inspiration. Mm-hmm. And we'll be glad if you picked us up for your last podcast network. Absolutely. Put that up there. We already work for zero dollars and zero cents. Yeah, so we're not expensive. We're not. <laughs> you add one cent, we one, are in it. One dollar and ninety-nine cents. <laughs> don't forget to subscribe on all the platforms that you listen to. And don't forget to rate us and let us know how great or how awful we're doing. I know I'm loud. And I know we cuss. <laughs> I um, know both of those things. We laugh at inappropriate times and make a lot of inappropriate jokes because trauma. <laughs> Uh, and um, well, Jen's laugh was fake. Mine was real. <laughs> <laughs> so much trauma, so much. It makes us fun, right? It does. It does. Always got an interesting I story was for you. Telling Becky something about my childhood the other day, <laughs> and uh, afterwards, I had to tell Julie about. It. I was like, "You ever realize, like, you tell somebody that's something completely abnormal about your life and weird, and you're like, oh, that is pretty fucked up, and now you've left that person with the nugget of your trauma." <laughs> That's what I did to Becky the other day. Sharing is caring. (laughs) Uh, Some people pay for therapists. I just have friends. Exactly. (laughs) Same. I like to say my hee-haw jokes too, you know? (laughs) Well, until next time. Stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel. And don't bring it too close to home to bring multiple women into your bed and tell your wife, chill, chill, chill. This is not American culture. It's not. It's It's not not. normal. Mm Mm-mm. So dark. (laughs) Both of us are just thinking about it. Like, I'm sorry. Sorry. The the mere thought of sex. I was just envisioning what I would do if I walked in and caught JJ like that. (laughs) I own this bitch now. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening.